The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Our scripture reading this evening comes from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 12. I'm going to read the entire chapter. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil, And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, So that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Now, kids, those of you that are here this evening, I hope that you got one of those little sheets. We've prepared a sheet for you for the children. And on there, there's uh, some prompts for you as you're taking notes. 
and listening to the sermon, there's also a key verse, which is verse 5 of Revelation chapter 12. And I hope that as you were listening to this, you were excited by what you heard, because this is a very exciting chapter of Scripture. I mean, behold, a sign, this woman in heaven. And then behold, another sign, a great red dragon. I mean, how often do you come to church and hear about dragons? And the woman was about to give birth to a child, and the dragon wanted to devour it, but the, the child was caught up into heaven. And then there was war in heaven between the archangel Michael and the angels of heaven against the dragon and his angels. And the, the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and he was cast down to earth. And the heavens are rejoicing that the dragon has been cast down, for the accuser of the brothers has been cast down. But woe to the earth. Now the dragon is on earth, and he's pursuing the woman. And normally, when we think about dragons, what, what do we normally picture coming out of their mouths? You is fire usually, right? Fire-breathing dragon. Not this dragon. A great river comes out of its mouth to drown the woman, but the woman is rescued. And you can imagine this great eagle picking her up and flying her out to the wilderness, to a place that's prepared for her, a place where she is nourished. So this is a pretty exciting chapter of Scripture. Now, hearing it on December 20th, you may wonder, okay, that's great, that's very exciting, but isn't this Advent? Isn't this the season when we are looking forward to the second coming of Christ? Isn't this the season when, you know, we're five days from Christmas and we're thinking about the birth of Christ? But this is actually an account of the birth of Christ. This is a nativity story. And Pastor Trevor prayed in his prayer that we would be like the servants of Elisha, who have our eyes opened to see. And this is what Revelation chapter 12 does for us. It opens our eyes that we can see. And what we are shown, what we see here, is the spiritual and the cosmic significance of the birth of Christ. Now, of course, we can read about the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2, and that gives us the historical account of the birth of Christ. But here in the book of Revelation, we are shown the spiritual and cosmic significance of what was happening. So yes, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. But this was all going on, in a sense, behind the scenes. And Revelation... Uh, literally means there's a Greek word for, that's translated revelation, and that's apocalypse, and that means unveiling. So what this chapter of Scripture does for us is it unveils Christmas, and it unveils what was going on at the birth of Christ. He's the male child that was born. And I hope that's pretty clear, because it was, uh, he was the one who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Well, that's, that's Christ. And then the heavens are rejoicing at the, the fact that the kingdom of God has come and the authority of his Christ. So he is the male child that was born. And we're told that he was caught up to heaven. And that is a very short-form way of telling us, go back and read the Gospels. Remember everything that happened. He was born, he was caught up to heaven. The beginning and the end. Everything in between is in view here. He lived, he preached, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He was crucified. He was raised. He was caught up into heaven. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, to the throne of God. And what this tells us in the book of Revelation is that the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, and the death of Christ and victory of Christ was a victory over 
the ancient serpent, our ancient foe, the dragon. And you'll remember all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, you'll remember the word that God spoke to the serpent after Adam and Eve took the fruit and they disobeyed. He told the serpent, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the, seed of, uh, the, the serpent will strike the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will crush his head. And what God is telling us at the very beginning is that the history of humanity is going to be a history of conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And yes, we can look at history and we can study history and we can follow the rise and fall of kings and we can, we can follow the call of Abraham and the history of Israel and, and uh, the, uh, the, the growth of the church and look at that on a, on a historical level. But we also need to recognize that behind that, spiritually, there's this ongoing conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman is Christ. And here we read in this vision about the birth of Christ and the defeat of the dragon, the crushing of the dragon's head. And at Christmas time, we need to remember that, yes, I know we sing songs that we love and uh, there's beautiful poetry and some of the Christmas carols have very rich theology. And then there's all the other Christmas songs that just kind of talk about getting together and roasting chestnuts and all that kind of nice stuff. That's all good. That's all nice. And I know we've got the lights and we have the tinsel and we've got presents. But we need to remember that Christmas is also a celebration of this great moment of conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And we are those on earth. Woe to you on earth. That's us. The serpent, the dragon, still pursues us. And at Christmas time, we're reminded that we're in a fight. We're in a battle. We are in a conflict. I think we're probably aware of it more this Christmas than we have been other Christmases. And we need to be reminded of what the book of Revelation reveals to us here because here is the, the revelation of the victory of Christ. He has conquered. And the promise that we will be preserved. And it tell, uh, John says that we are conquering the dragon. And so tonight I want us to consider this conflict with the dragon and our victory over the dragon. And our victory is the victory of Christ. It's the victory of this male child. That was a long introduction, but this is, you know, an unusual text, so I wanted to give that introduction. I want us to consider three aspects of the victory of Christ. So first of all, his victory for us. He has conquered for us. Uh, Secondly, his victory over us. We have been conquered by Christ. And then thirdly, his victory through us, because we are declaring and we are actually in a fight, uh, advancing the victory of Christ. So let's begin with, with the victory for us. Now, as we think about the serpent, the dragon, the devil, Satan, and we think about the nature of this conflict that has been going on since that time in the garden, Our Lord tells us in John chapter 8 about Satan that he is a liar and he's a murderer. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And these are the two great weapons of our enemy. Lies and murder. Deception and murder. Here in this text, he's identified as the deceiver of the whole world. And the fear of death. 
And our enemy wields the fear of death. And we know that in our society around us at this moment. People are subject to the fear of death. And yes, we can, we can look at this on a virological point of view. We can look at this from a political point of view. But we need to remember that behind that is the dragon. And even as we look at the Christmas account and the birth of Christ, uh, remember that Herod was the one. Yes, he was a, a king, a political ruler, who wanted to destroy, to devour the child that was born. And so he issued a decree that all of the children, all of the boys under the age of two, in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, should be slaughtered, should be killed. That was Herod's decree. But here the book of Revelation tells us our enemy, the serpent, the dragon, was behind that. He was the one behind that. And we are reminded that we have the eyes of faith to see the spiritual conflict in which we're involved, and we have to have eyes to recognize our enemy and the work of the dragon. And he, he wields as his weapon the fear of death. Now, the reason he can use that is because death is the, is the penalty for sin. And we're guilty of sin. And the devil is Satan. That's what we're told here. He's Satan. And the word Satan means adversary or accuser. He is the accuser. If you read the book of Job, the opening chapters, we see Satan in the courtroom of God accusing. He's accusing Job. We see in the prophet Zechariah, chapter 6. Again, Satan is in the courtroom of heaven, and he's accusing the high priest, Joshua. He's the accuser. And our enemy accuses us of sin, and we, we, we feel that, we know that. Now, people go to you know, their therapist, or they take pills to deal with that. But there is that, that guilt that everyone is aware of and knows. And with that comes the fear of death. And we live in a society that is, that is sinful, diseased with sin. And there's always different manifestations of the fear of death. But we're not surprised right now that our enemy is both accusing us and using the fear of death. Because the wages of sin is death. And we are sinners. But let's remember what we read in Hebrews. That Christ in his death has conquered, he's defeated the one who has the power of death. He defeated the devil. And the way he defeats the devil is he deals with sin. Christ came to deal with sin. He came to deal with our sin. And here it's helpful to look at this chapter, Revelation 12, alongside what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. Because Paul wants us to think about the significance of the death of Christ in this cosmic spiritual perspective. Christ was disarming the powers and principalities. God was disarming the powers and principalities in the death of Christ. But listen to what Paul says just leading up to that statement. So this is Colossians 2, 13 and 14. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And that's the state of each one of us outside Christ. We are dead in our trespasses. But Paul says, you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, with Christ. We've been made alive together with Christ. Now, how is that possible? Because we were dead in trespasses. How is it that we were made alive? Well, Paul answers it. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. He has forgiven us our trespasses. That's why we have life. That's why we're no longer dead in our trespasses. He has forgiven us our trespasses. Well, how did he do that? 
Paul says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The record of debt, the sins that we've committed. The legal demands, death. That's God's just penalty for our sin. Paul says he's forgiven our sins by wiping clean, canceling the record of debt with its legal demands. And then he says this, this he set aside, the record of debt with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our sin with its legal demands was nailed to the cross. Now, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was nailed to the cross. And Paul knows that his sin, he knows that your sin was put on Christ. And the penalty for our sin was put on Christ, and he was nailed to the cross. And then Paul says, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, the powers and principalities, the dragon. He disarmed, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Now, Paul is giving us a theological explanation of the vision that John saw. All heaven rejoiced when the male child was born, when the Christ was born, when he was crucified for sin, when he was raised on the third day, when he came up and took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high. All, the, all heavens rejoiced. Why? Because now the accuser of our brothers has been cast down. Yes, Satan could stand in the courtroom of heaven and make accusations against Job. He could stand in the courtroom of heaven. He could make accusations against the high priest, Joshua. But when, when the Son of God came in the flesh and died for sin, our enemy, Satan, was cast out of heaven. He's got no place in that courtroom anymore. And the reason is there's no basis for his accusations anymore because the Son wiped away the record of debt with its legal demands. And he has been cast down. Now, he didn't go willingly. Needed the archangel Michael and the angel, angelic armies of heaven to cast him out. But he was cast down. And heaven rejoices because of that. Woe to you on the earth. Well, that's where we are. Now, our accuser is still our accuser. He, he still tries to accuse us of sin. And some of you even maybe have come here tonight. And you're, you are hearing very loudly and clearly the the accusations of our enemy. And let's remember what the Apostle Paul says. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. The accuser of our brothers has been cast out of heaven. There was no place for him there, it says. There is a place for you there. No place for him there. There's a place for you there. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's the victory of Christ for us. He's defeated our enemy. He's defeated the accuser. But how is it that our sins are forgiven if we don't repent? We must repent. There are two groups of people in the world. There are those who submit to the rule of Christ, and there are those who submit to the dragon. You're in one group or the other. Everyone here tonight is in one group or the other. You either submit to the rule of Christ, and your sins are forgiven, or you submit to the rule of the dragon, and you're still under the, the power of sin and death. It's one or the other. Now, when Christ defeated the dragon, he also defeated everyone associated with the dragon, including us. We were, we, we were, all, we were all born in the kingdom of the dragon. He defeated us. But this is a gracious defeat because we're not eternally damned in his judgment. 
we, are, we have been given time now to turn to our Savior in repentance and faith. And the death that we, and I, we, we now die is the death of baptism. Baptism signifies our death and our resurrection. We turn to Christ in faith. We submit ourselves to his rule. And we submit ourselves to his judgment. Going through the waters of baptism, we die. We're resurrected. And we walk in newness of life in Christ. And so his, his victory... Yes, is over the dragon, but it's over us too. And each one of us needs to submit to Christ. And we need to submit to the victory and the conquest of Christ. Charles Wesley, in his very well-known, one of my favorites uh, around Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, he says this, Come, desire of, of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering seed. I mean, here it is, the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Rise, the woman's conquering seed. This is the male child. This is Christ. And then the next line. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now just think about that. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Think about that first moment of sin, when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve, instead of listening to God, listened to the dragon. They ate the fruit. And then when God came and graciously drew them out from hiding and asked them a question, did you eat of the fruit? Remember Adam's first response. His response should have been, yes, I ate the fruit. Did you eat the fruit? Yes, I ate the fruit. That wasn't his response. He says, the woman that you gave me. So the woman that you gave me. You gave me this woman. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. In other words, it's your fault, God, because you gave me this woman. It's her fault because she gave me the fruit. What is Adam doing? Accusing. He's under, the, he's under the rule of the accuser. He's under the rule of the dragon. Christ has come to bruise the dragon's head in us. We, we first need to be conquered. We need to be defeated. And this reminds me of one of my favorite moments in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the voyage of the Dawn Treader. You may remember this if you've read the story of Eustace. You know, Eustace is this rotten little boy. He's a know-it-all, and um, that's a very hard time getting along with the other kids. And at one point, he goes off on a hike, and he does it when the others are supposed to be working. You know, everyone's working, and he's like, I don't want to work. So he goes off, and he starts exploring, and he discovers this cave full of treasure. Now, anybody that knows anything about caves full of treasure, you know what to find, what you expect to find in a cave filled with treasure, and that's a dragon, because dragons guard the treasure. And uh, sure enough, he sees there's a dragon there. And in his greed, he's trying to gather up all of this gold. And in the process, he himself becomes a dragon. And at first, he quite likes this. You know, he's flying around, he's blowing fire on people, and, you know, he thinks this is great. But then after a while, he finds he's, he's terribly alone. He doesn't have, you know, the relationships that he had with the other kids, even if they weren't great. And he's just by himself all the time. And he gets, he gets uh, increasingly lonely, increasingly giving in, given to despair. And then one night, Aslan comes to him and uh, leads him up a high mountain. And at the top of the mountain is a garden. And in the center of the garden, there is a font. And Aslan says to Eustace, who's, who's now a dragon, you need to disrobe and bathe in the fountain. 
And Eustace kind of looks down at himself, and he's a dragon, and he wonders, how do I do that? I'm not sure how to do that. But then he remembers, oh yeah, dragons are kind of like reptiles, and reptiles can shed their skin like a snake, so maybe I'll try to do that. And a few times he tries to take his skin off to go into the, the font, but it doesn't work. And then finally Aslan, who's a, a great lion, he says to him, you need to let me disrobe you. And Eustace describes what he happened, but he said Aslan takes his great claws and he dug into him. And he says, it felt like it went right to my heart. And Aslan shreds the skin off of him and he pulls it off and he tosses it to the side and Eustace looks over and he sees this big, disgusting mess of dragon skin. But then he looks and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm back to myself. And, and then Aslan picks him up and throws him into the, into the water and he starts to swim around, and he says, he says, it was the most delicious experience swimming in this water. And he said, I was a boy again. And I love that description of the transformation of Eustace. It's a picture of the new birth that we have in Christ. But Eustace had to submit himself to Aslan, and we have to submit ourselves to the rule of Christ. In repentance, we do that, but then in obedience and faith, we submit ourselves to him. And notice that the, the saints in this chapter are those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. They keep the commandments of God. So yes, at this time of year, we celebrate the victory of Christ for us, but we also remember his victory over us. And we now submit to his rule. He's our king. And we know there are times when we are not very good citizens in his kingdom. And so we need to always have this, this repentant heart. We have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table, exercise that very repentance. And then finally, his victory through us. Notice what it says in verse 11. And they have conquered him. And speaking of us, of the church, of believers. We have conquered him, the dragon, by the blood of the lamb. First of all, We are victorious over the dragon by the blood of the Lamb. We are those who have been washed clean by his blood. He has no accusation, no basis for an accusation against us. We are victorious in Christ. We reign in Christ. By the blood of the Lamb, we have conquered him. But then he also says, and by the word of their testimony. This is what the the great choir in heaven is, is declaring. By the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. And then later uh, in the last verse, chapter 17, we are those who, yes, we, we keep the testimony of Christ, we keep the word of our testimony, and we keep the commandments of God. That's who we are. Now, what this is telling us, what the choir in heaven is declaring, is that we conquer the dragon by the word of our testimony and by keeping the commandments. Woe to you on earth, for the dragon has come down in great wrath and fury. And we are called to fight the dragon. And we conquer him by the word of our testimony and by keeping the commandments of God. And it may not seem like it to you. You know, those times when you are sharing the gospel with somebody else. It may, it may not seem at the time like you are um, exercising and, and advancing the victory of Christ over the dragon. But what this is telling us is you are. 
Every time we declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, we are conquering the dragon. And you can look all through history and you have the faithful witness of the people of God, the faithful witness of the church. And every time a believer bears testimony to Christ, the dragon is defeated and he is pushed back. Now, as you look at church history and you look at the advance of the gospel and the advance of the church, more often than not, it doesn't look like a victory. After the fact, you, you see that, it has, that the church has grown, that the gospel has gone, gone out, but not at the time. Now, oftentimes we share the gospel and it's, it's misunderstood or it's mocked or it's scorned, it's rejected. Uh, for many believers around the world today, because they bear the testimony of Jesus, they, they suffer with their lives. This is what we're warned about here, too. Because of the testimony, uh, they, they lose their life. And as you look at it from a historical perspective, it may look like the church is being defeated. This is why we need the eyes of Elisha's servant to know what the victory looks like and to recognize, as we're told here, no, every time a believer loses his or her life for sharing the gospel, the enemy is defeated. The enemy is conquered. And let's remember the decisive moment of his defeat was in the crucifixion of our Lord. And every time we bear witness to the significance and bear witness to the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the rule of Christ, we, we, we conquer the dragon. And we're living in a city right now where we have the fear of death. And by the way, accusations. I mean, we're, we're becoming quite an accusatory society. You know, accusations left, right, and center about this and that. That's the, that's the work of our enemy. As we obey the commandments of God and bear the testimony of Christ, we are fighting back. And I would say that's the significance of, of our gathering to worship. We're commanded to sing. We're commanded to gather. We're commanded to come to the Lord's table. We're commanded to preach. That's the commandments of God. I know it may seem like, oh, we're behind locked doors. This is not a retreat, my brothers and sisters. Every time we gather here, we gather for battle, and we are winning every time we gather here as we bear witness. Now, there's, as we come to the Lord's table, I want us to also notice what this vision shows us about the woman. She represents God's people. She represents the church. Twice we're told that she was taken to a place prepared for her where she is nourished. And this is a reminder that uh, the one who has conquered, the one who has defeated the dragon, yes, he calls on us to fight the dragon. We're called to fight. But he also promises to preserve us and to protect us. Remember that night that Jesus was betrayed in his prayer to his father. He prayed, keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. The Son of God has prayed that to the Father. The Father has heard that prayer. The Father answers that prayer. He will keep us from the evil one. I don't take them out of the world. We don't get taken out of the world. He does pray, keep us from the evil one. And here we're told that, yes, the church is kept from the evil one. We're taken to a place, taken up on the eagle, uh, uh, on the two wings of the eagle. I think that's a picture of God's spirit who takes us up, who preserves us, who protects us to a place where we are nourished. And let's remember at a time where, you know, many of us have grown quite weary at the end of this year. Uh, we may be giving in to doubt. We may be giving in, giving in to despair. But she is nourished. Uh, his grace is sufficient for us. He will supply every need. 
And the two obvious means of that grace are his word. He nourishes us by his word. He feeds us by his word. And the invitation and the command to come to the Lord's table, uh, eating this bread, receiving this cup. And every time we come to this table and we receive this bread, it is a reminder and it's a declaration that the Son of God gave himself for us. He gave his body for us. And every time we take this cup, it is a reminder and a declaration that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and uh, of many. And so as we come to this table, we're reminded that we conquer our enemy by the shed blood of the Lamb. And as we come to this table, we're reminded that uh, he has prepared a place for us. And think of Psalm 23. He prepares a place for us. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And we come to that table now. So let's come now to receive this bread and this wine. And may it be to us a, a confirmation that uh, Christ has conquered for us. We come in repentance, remembering that he has conquered us. We submit to his rule. And may this be a means of grace to strengthen our faith, that we may advance the victory of Christ as we keep his commandments and as we hold fast to the testimony of Christ. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.